the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans and football fans and basketball fans and WNBA fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get updated news feeds ad free every single day. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off that first year subscription. Happy Monday morning. My name is Mike Gennetti, sitting here live from Buffalo, New York, <laughs> feeling bad for lots of my neighbors right now. That's for darn sure. Uh, quick open here in terms of the NFL. And then, believe it or not, and I'm kind of happy we, ha- we have this available an NBA piece, uh, the second segment of this show. Keith Smith, Scott Allen, myself break down. Buyers and sellers for this NBA trade deadline, which is about two and a half weeks away. And it should be great. So I realize we're all engrossed in the NFL right now, and rightfully so. And that's going to be a part of my open here. But uh, it is time to start to think about those other sports for a lot of fan bases. And the NBA starts to get really interesting right about now. College basketball as well, by the way. So that's the back end of this show. But first, I'm not going to sit here and have a love fest for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, but I'm going to have a a surfacey view of what we saw last night. So look, 12, 15 years ago, right? And and it was not their decision. It was public, medical, <laughs> legal, right? The pressure that came down on the NFL to fix and change this game from a player safety standpoint is why we're here right now. It, it's why we're here. It's why last night was able to happen. This weekend was able to happen. Um, the, the the rule changes that specifically started to take hitting away from defenders and a lot away from defenders and positioning the gameplay to run solely through the quarterback position. And I realize that's how the game generally worked. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, 80% of the gameplay now runs through the quarterback. And if your quarterback is as versatile as some of these players we saw yesterday, that number's even higher. And you can you can hem and haw and say the NFL is a reactive league, and that's fine. But they did this, okay? And it wasn't just about putting more points on the, on the board. That was part of the conversation. You know, we're going to take away the hitting. We're going to make this an offensive game. Number one, it's going to make the players safe, you know, safer. And I'm using air quotes there because I know there's still plenty of injuries in this game. Number two, it is going to offer more scoring, which drives ratings, which is, again, this is all circling back to money. And number three, and this one might have been, you know, they may not have foreshadowed this one as much as they should have. But in turn, you have upped the quarterback position, the importance, the reverence, the uh, the dynamicism of this position and it's maximum right now. It's at a maximum point. And I give the NBA a lot of credit for what they do over the year, over the past 20, 25 years, the David Stern stuff. And certainly now with silver, you know, they sent, they, they essentially run their league through their superstars, decision-making uh, promotion, advertising, the way the games are structured. It is a superstar league and it will remain that way with some of these young superstars coming up. And the NFL has figured this out. And, you know, if you're a running back and you're a wide receiver and you're a tight end, you're going to get some run. But, man, there is nothing like being an NFL quarterback right now who can play, right? Because if you're a bad quarterback, it's 
just as amplified in a negative connotation. And, you know, I saw Baker Mayfield yesterday on Twitter, again, kind of going off and, and giving up. <laughs> and I, and I, I feel terrible for him because, you know, he's given everything he got, he's got. He's just literally, he plays a position that if you are not one of the top 10, and, and that's fair now, if you are not a top 10, you're a nobody and you are replaceable immediately. And because of the rookie wage scale, that's the other piece of this. So it's, it's 15 years of the NFL trying to A, make, it, make this league safer and B, positioning everything to drive at the quarterback, to, you know, to, to come stem from the quarterback. And then you toss in a seven-round rookie wage scale draft system where turning over and consistently trying to restart on the fly is 100% possible. If you're not great, you're a nobody. <laughs> and for teams that were sitting home yesterday watching this weekend, if you're thinking about where your quarterback is in comparison to Allen, to Mahomes, to Burrow, and it's not close, then you should probably be rooting for, for your team to flip it and start over. You know, Washington thinking about Garoppolo for the next four years, that's the wrong approach. And I'm not saying Garoppolo shouldn't get a job. There are plenty of teams that need that bridge situation. They're not ready to go after that quarterback that can change their franchise because we've talked about this forever. There are windows. There are two to four year windows that every team has to go through. Part of it is dead cap and reshuffling and getting yourself, you know, trimming the fat before you can start to add new stuff. There are plenty of teams in that boat right now. And I put the saints in that boat. I'd put, you know, Philly just went through that and still made the damn playoffs. So credit to them. You know, Detroit is still kind of running through that. They're, they're maybe on their way up right now. There are plenty of teams that aren't ready for Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. And that's fair. And I'm not saying you couldn't drop Mahomes on any team and they'd be markedly better. But where is your team right now in a team building standpoint? And this is a piece in a pot I'm going to be doing soon. And I'm, and I'm trying to do this team by team with these you know, you know, a deep dive off season breakdowns. I bring in some, uh, some great reporter from the local area and we talk about it. We're going to continue that, that series this week, uh, on our Thursday show. So I'm trying to, to, to understand myself and then push out there a little bit that, Hey, not every team is ready for, let's just go move up in the draft, get a quarterback. And if he hits, we're going to be winning. It's just not how it works. And, and by the way, Patriots fans, that's, that's probably how you feel right now. Because A, you got a guy. You got a guy who was intelligent and capable enough to come into this system and pick it up so damn quickly that it couldn't help but not win you games. But can you imagine Mac Jones last night? <laughs> I can't. I can't. Can you imagine a blow-by-blow -blow situation like that with Mac Jones versus either of those two guys? I can't even see him against Joe Burrow right now because I think Burrow is on an Aaron Rodgers track. The confidence, the poise the ability, the, the savviness, and, and just his I don't give an F attitude, man, oh, man. I mean, at 20, whatever he is, four, five, to be sounding, looking, and playing like Aaron Rodgers in the postseason, man, oh, man. The AFC is in really good shape in terms of these young quarterbacks. If you throw Herbert in there, really good shape. So I look at last night as just a new bar, a, a new pedestal now for every other team to look at. And you can say that's not fair. 
not every team is built the same way. That's fine. But going back to point number one here, this is what the league is saying you have to do. Okay, you're not going to win with Saquon Barkley as the crux of your offense. It, it's not going to happen. And you can say, well, you know, Derrick Henry almost did it. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, a healthy Derrick Henry has not gotten to the Super Bowl ever. He's needed Tannehill. He's needed receivers. He's needed a defense. That team is not complete enough to win. And they've proved it over the past couple of years. Good enough to get close, not good enough to get there. And it's not fair to say, go get him a Holmes or a Josh Allen. They're freaks. And extend that out. It's not fair to say, Bills, stop Tyreek Hill every single play. It's not fair. He's a freak. Okay. It's not fair to say, Matt Milano, you know, for 68 or 70 minutes, shut down Travis Kelsey. It's not fair. He's a freak. There are very specific situations happening in terms of that game where you just have literal Hall of Famers running all over the place. And eventually it's going to catch up to you. And it did. And blame the overtime, blame personnel, blame decision-making, whatever. you. I, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me. But um, there's no question after this weekend with Burrow, with Allen, with Mahomes, that young quarterback play is what this league is begging for and how you win ballgames. It's just where we are. And yeah, Brady was phenomenal last year and took a young, enigmatic team all the way to the finish line. And he damn near did it again this year with this incredible comeback. But it's all about this position. So when I sit here every other week and break down quarterback statuses and financial situations for team quarterbacks, and some of you probably roll your eyes when you see the title of the podcast because it's just the same old. It's, it is the same old, but I'm finding different ways to get to, to take, it on, take it on because it's that important. It's that important. You know, I'm sure NBA podcasts focus a hell of a lot on LeBron and Harden and Durant because there are 15 players in the NBA that, that make up 85% of the gameplay, especially as we get towards the postseason. It's just how it works. You know, you're not going to have some darling rookie in the NBA just drive to the top of the of the of the leaderboard and then run his team through the postseason. It just doesn't happen there. And the fact that it can happen in the NFL with a quarterback, you know, with with somebody like Burrow who is year two after year one was basically lost to a gigantic injury and the entire team had to kind of restructure this offseason. It's phenomenal. The, the Bengals story is is as phenomenal as we have right now. And I realize the Chiefs Bills game is going to dominate the uh the airwaves all week because of the showdown that it was. But the quarterback position as a whole, and I understand, you know, Brady out, Rodgers out. There's a there's a bit of a passing of the torch here in that regard. And who knows where those two careers are going to wind up. I'm not going to speculate now. No way. We'll talk Packers deep dive offseason very, very soon. But um, the young quarterback, and again, if your team doesn't have it, and I'm not saying has that, but if your team doesn't feel like it has it, don't be surprised if Philadelphia uses one of those three with a quarterback or goes and gets a quarterback with their draft picks. Jalen Hurts is a hell of a quarterback, dynamic, a playmaker, can win you ball games, but he's not that. Jalen Hurts is not winning on either side of that ball last night. It's not happening. Um, so it's really tough to fall in love with mediocrity right now at the quarterback position. Really tough. And I asked Joel Corey a couple of weeks ago, why does it feel like we can't get a $20 million quarterback contract? This is why. This is why. Because it's, it's either you're 40 
and we love you and we trust you or let somebody else make make you your backup. And I think that's where Garoppolo's going. You know, eventually Cousins is going there. Eventually Mayfield's going there if he accepts that kind of role. Darnold's going there. It, it's going to be, we give you your shot, three to four, sometimes five years. It looks like Baker and Darnold are getting fifth five years here. And then it's going to be shut it off, start over. And don't be surprised if Cleveland does something from a quarterback standpoint to sort of backfill. That's just where we are. Don't be surprised if Arizona, this one's crazy because at times Kyler Murray is a $40 million quarterback, but they've already shown us that they're not afraid with that Josh Rosen situation to rip it off early in the middle of a rookie contract, fully guaranteed and say, it's not good enough. We don't have it. We have to go back and do it again. Don't be surprised. You know, I, I have a feeling that's coach before it's quarterback, but that's the level of where I'm talking about. If, if you don't feel like it's it, start to find other options, get him on the roster or, or line up situations where you know it's possible. To me, that's the biggest disaster that Pittsburgh has, done, has made is they had all the opportunities in the world. I, I mentioned this last week with Mark Cabali. They had all, the writing has been on the wall for five years that Ben is declining. And, you know, you couldn't necessarily kick him out the door because of what he did. It was very Eli Manning-ish in that, in that regard. But they had, I mean, they're staring out the front window, looking at their quarterback position, dwindling and dwindling. And there's no way they just were, were just assuming Martin Mason Rudolph was the answer whenever it was necessary. No way. No way. They signed Dwayne Haskins on a flyer. They wanted to see if they could round him into form. But now they're sitting with zero literal ground zero at the quarterback position. And I just don't understand that after what we saw last night in this conference, right in this conference, how do you leave yourself bare in that cupboard after years and years of knowing it was going to have to come eventually, you know, there are worse ways to hold a roster spot than a quarterback who isn't playing for you. Let's put it that way. We can laugh at, at what the 49ers did with Trey Lance, now knowing that Garoppolo has taken them to the, to the conference championship game. I'm not going to, you know, it, it may be a bust of a trade-up at the end of the day, and, and, you know, we can break that down when the time comes. But going all in for a quarterback because they felt like their guy wasn't the it guy, there's nothing wrong with that. If they win in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo, they're going to feel like a million bucks. Because it, they know then that their system, their drafting, their free agent acquisitions, what they're doing as an organization is so damn impressive and effective that they could win in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball all over the place to both sides of the field. Um, so I'm not going to knock the Trey Lance trade. I'm not going to knock the Jordan Love trade, especially if... Aaron Rodgers was was voicing these kind of opinions behind the scenes for the past couple of years. And it just now became public eight months ago. You know, how, how who are we to say that the GM hasn't been hearing this from Rodgers for five years and that this rift has been growing and growing and growing and that the Jordan Love draft wasn't just a slap in Rodgers face, but it was, we got to protect ourselves because this guy is, is volatile and he may retire tomorrow on us. Uh, we don't know. You know, and we'll never know. But taking a quarterback that has ability in any regard, in any regard, can no longer be considered dumb. 
No, you want to bring a backup on and pay him $20 million. That's dumb. Okay, I'm not going to say there aren't lines that can't be crossed. But any team that is backfilling the quarterback position via trade, via free agency, via the draft, if they feel like their guy isn't it, it's the right move every time. Every time. Because it is the A most important position in sports. No other way to look at it. And if you watched any of that game last night, let alone every single second of it, you know what it can look like when it's right. And that's what that was last night. And you can take all the negatives out of it and just say, that's a hell of a game. And the ratings are going to be insane. And they're never going down again. <laughs> okay. I mean, that is the kind of sporting event that your league, and I believe they actually did. I think the NFL actually tweeted, thank you, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And that is, that is as money business loaded a tweet as you can have, because that is great. It was an unbelievable game to watch as a fan, but my God, was that good for business? I mean, my God, uh, it's all about the quarterback. And by the way, coming soon, our off-season positional series, the quarterback status breakdown. I have launched the wide receiver one. Every single team, I've got a, a, a decent-sized paragraph breaking down the financial status of every single wide receiver. I, I generally go, you know, WR1, 2, and 3. What's their status? How much is left on their contract? What's the dead cap situation? Is anybody likely to be traded, cut, extended? All that good stuff. But team by team, all 32, I now have the running back and the wide receiver up there. And the quarterback's coming right around the corner. I just got to sit down and crank it out with a couple of cups of coffee. So right on brand with this conversation and the league as a whole, now that many teams are heading to the offseason. Again, we'll keep up the offseason pod series. Uh, I'll bury the lead. The Patriots are next, coming this week. So that is the next deep dive in terms of the offseason uh, needs and bubble candidates and extension possibilities and all that fun stuff. So Patriots are on the clock in terms of that with the next podcast. Let's talk some basketball. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He's a great follow in game, out of game, in season, out of season. And he's done some work for us preceding this NBA trade deadline, which is February 10th, just about two and a half weeks away. Keith, welcome back. Let's talk about these uh, buyers and sellers. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm excited to get into it. This is uh, one of my favorite times of the year in the NBA calendar. Is it going to be a good one? You know, it's funny talking to folks around the league, it, the opinions are kind of split. Some think it may be very busy because the belief is when there's a poor free agent class, which this upcoming one is, and there's not a lot of teams with cap space, also true this upcoming summer, that the way teams can make moves is at the trade deadline. And a lot of the, the attitude is make a move now, we get the benefit for the next few months, as well as uh, an early jump on the offseason. So and then there's other folks around there that said there's just not a ton of teams that are looking to sell, and that generally drives the market more. But I think over these next couple weeks here leading up to the deadline, we'll see some teams slot uh, into their natural spots a little more, and then we'll go from there. So the you know the the free agency versus trade situation in the NBA is not new. I mean, this has been a trend that has been shifting for about a decade now, and it's as strong as it's ever been. Free agency is a bit of a myth right now. And even those that make it there become sign and trade options more than they become actual cap space options. So why did the Lakers pin themselves into a situation where they absolutely can't even make a trade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, if I could answer that one, I think we'd all be a very rich uh, gentleman here. Um, I, I think the Lakers 
this was the allure of a star in Russell Westbrook. Uh, LeBron James, clearly that's the guy he wanted. And I think they have had success in the past and star heavy teams uh, with filling it out with role players around them. But the difference in the math this time around was you really left yourself with three max contracts, a couple mid-range contracts, but the players are of questionable value. And then Everything else is a minimum. So they are, you know, completely out of, uh, you know, tools to, to make moves. And, I, and I'm going to guess if you could get some truth serum into them, they would say the hope was Talon Horton Tucker would either develop into being so good that they couldn't trade him because he's playing such a huge role for them or that he was going to develop enough that that he'd be a really nice, attractive trade piece. And neither one of those things has happened because he slipped uh, pretty far from being a promising player in his uh, first couple seasons in the league. All right. The team that, you know, uh, dealt with the Lakers in terms of Westbrook and ended up with four or five players of consequence who have worked out is Washington. Scott, that's your neck of the woods. Washington's kind of slipped back into the fold, probably where they belong in terms of what that roster looks like. Uh, better than they've been, but not good enough to really be in contention. Are they buyers, sellers, or are they staying where they are and letting this thing ride out this year? I, I think they're going to be buyers. I think they need to uh, go the next level up, move some of the pieces, maybe Bertans, um, and show Beal that they are still going in the right direction for him. Yeah, that's the conversation here, right, Keith, is, uh, you know, Beal has not signed the extension. At some point in time, he's going to ask out of this conversation. He's been a good soldier for quite a long time now. You know, you can talk about Bertans in that deal. You're you're selling draft picks if you're getting rid of him, right? Yeah, it's either going to be draft picks or you're attaching a young player to him. Uh, they, they've got a couple guys that, that teams are interested in if they wanted to move off them, guys like Denny Avdia. Uh, maybe Corey Kispert because he started to show a little bit when they were down so many players. Uh, their challenge, though, is they is kind of what Scott laid out. You have to do what you can to keep Bradley Beal healthy because what the, the Wizards want, they know he's not signing an extension. He's going to opt out. And a lot of that, that's just a, a math play. He's going to make a lot more money by opting out than he would by signing an extension. So what we're going to see there is he'll opt out. He'll probably resign. But what they need to do is get him to resign with the idea of, He's there throughout the life of that next contract versus I'm just resigning and then I'll ask out in a year or two, uh, which we're starting to see become more and more prevalent, or at least it's a theory that's out there that guys will do that. So I, I do think they're going to be active because I think they're looking at their position in the Eastern Conference and saying, hey, we're not really all that far off for making a little run here and being one of those assured uh, top six playoff teams. And right now things are so compact in the East, maybe it could even be more than that. Yeah, that's probably right. Before we get into some serious names, um, I want to kind of steer toward the financial side. Are there teams out there that will do some business over the next couple of weeks purely for tax purposes, whether it's to get under the tax, whether it's to, to have less of a tax bill come the end of the year? Is Are there at least a handful of teams that are in that neck of the woods? Yeah, absolutely. The Boston Celtics uh, just did a move like that with the Wancho Hernan Gomez uh, salary dump to San Antonio. They're now it's very likely that Jalen Brown is going to miss out on his incentives this year. So they're they're under a million dollars away from missing the tax entirely. And it's basically negligent if you don't 
get out of the tax at that point if you're not a title contender and that's not where they're sitting. So they're definitely going to do something to to get out of the tax or that's going to Schroeder or move uh, Bull Bull, who they just acquired. Someone is going to be, uh, you know, probably a phone call to Sam Presti hmm. and, you know, a second round pick and, you know, off we go. I, I think we're also going to see the Portland Trailblazers do the same, that they're, they're about three million or so away from getting out of the tax. And that's, uh, again, that's one move away from maybe two moves from getting out of the tax entirely. And that's, is something that just makes a lot of sense for them. And then as far as lowering a tax bill, I'm very curious to see what the Utah Jazz do. I think they were content to pay more tax than what they usually do there because they felt like, hey, we're right there to be a contender. As they've slid a little bit bit in the standings, I think there's a chance that they may say, hey, let's try to get that bill down if we can, some off of about 14 and a half million or so. Yeah, the team I'm looking at, all that makes sense, and I and I wonder if Utah just just stands pat because they love who they are so much, and that's kind of been their kryptonite over the past couple of years, to be honest. Uh, where are the Clippers right now? To me, they're in limbo, and it and it's you know self induced with the, with the Paul George injury, and certainly with Kawhi's situation, that's almost seventy million of just you know cash being bled out there for no reason. Unfortunately, can they get themselves back into this conversation when PG returns, or should they start to trim some fat here a little bit? Yeah, the unfortunate news that Paul George's return is going to be delayed longer than what they thought is really tough because they were kind of sitting there saying, well, you know, if we can just hang on here and then get Kawhi back, we're going to be that team that's sixth, seventh, eighth in the conference that none of the top seeds want to see because we do have so much talent. Uh, now the the question is, do you even bring Paul George back, even bring Kawhi Leonard back. If you do, is it more just a, hey, regain a little bit of confidence and momentum going into the offseason? And they've got some guys that other teams teams are interested in. Marcus Morris uh, is what one for sure. Serge Ibaka, there's a handful of teams that have inquired about him. So one of the, and Luke Kennard as well as a shooter. And one of the things that a thought that's very prevalent out there with the Clippers is they may move off a couple of these guys with the sense of, what we're we're not rebuilding because you can't do that when you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard signed long term. But what we are doing is we're retooling, we're resetting, uh, so that when those guys are back healthy at the start of next season, at the very latest, we're ready to go and get right back into that title contender mix. So you may see them do some moves that are maybe a little bit of a downgrade for the rest of this year, which is not the end of the world. Um, but we'll step them up. One thing they can't really do is just kind of shut everything down and just kind of tank because they don't know they don't have their own draft pick. <laughs> it goes to Oklahoma City. So there's really no reason to bottom out, uh, you know, anywhere near what you could for the rest of this season. So it's probably kind of a soft reset, if anything. Okay, one more question for you, Keith, quickly here. Are there teams out there that have exceptions to absorb? Because those teams become very popular this time of year for teams, yeah. like, teams like the Clippers, teams like the Celtics, who are trying to shed tax base um, and not really take back players in any sense. Yeah, there absolutely are. And, and you know, Oklahoma City is sitting in this really weird spot where they're still, uh, as, as we talk today, over the cap, but they're also simultaneously 22 or 23 million under the salary floor, which is, you know, that they, even my brain gets a little broken by that one. Um, but it's, it's just because of the exceptions that they're sitting on cap holds and things like that. But what what's going to happen is they're either going to use their last couple of exceptions that they have left, 
or they're going to transition into being a cap space team with about $34 million under the cap. And what you'll see is they will be everybody's first call. If we need a dump salary, we need a third team in a trade or whatever. And presumably Sam Presti is going to be there with open arms to welcome in whatever it is along with draft picks uh, as he continues to try to rebuild that base, maybe even talented young players that they can take on. They've already done one deal like that to help out the Utah jazz. It's expected they'll do more. And then another team that's in position because Having an exception is great, but you also have to make sure you're positioned to not put yourself in a bad spot with the tax. The Orlando Magic are sitting on a $17 million trade exception from the Evan Fournier deal last year that will expire at the trade deadline. And so, And they're about $23 million under the tax. So it's expected mm. they're a team that may get a phone call saying, hey, can you eat a salary for us? Um, and they, they're probably open to that idea because they can clear a roster spot fairly easily. And if they can pick up a couple more assets as they continue their rebuild, they're definitely a team to watch as well. Sam Presti's not going to go John Wall or Russell Westbrook here, though, right, with that kind of space? No. <laughs> no, I'd be shocked if if it went that way. I, I just I can't imagine that uh, where he he wants to go. And I think it's because because of the money into next year. Now, if we get into the offseason and those two players are still mm-hmm. in the positions they're in, that maybe becomes an, a, a conversation point of, hey, you know, do we bring Russ back for one last run here in OKC and, you know, see what it looks like, bring him home. And yeah, that would obviously come with some assets attached their way as well. The problem for the Lakers is it doesn't make a ton of sense to dump uh, any more assets when you're already, now you're just kind of chasing good money after bad uh, with that. And then for the Rockets, because they're in a rebuilding position anyway, it doesn't make a ton of sense for them to uh, try to move off unless they really feel like, our guy, our young guys are ready to make a Cleveland type leap uh, next year and really get up into the playoff mix. Then maybe you consider clearing some cap space to make life a little easier on you. But I'm guessing that's not where they're going to be positioned. Yeah, John Wall is simply a get a, get above the salary floor player right now, right? That's what he's there for. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be the only reason you you would acquire him. And I think if you're Oklahoma City, you would say, yeah, we have other ways we can get there before we get that. Scott, one team that absolutely needs to buy over the next two and a half weeks. The Dallas Mavericks. Yep, that's, I the, think that's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're one major move away from getting to that next level with Luca and Porzingis. And um, I mean, we've been talking about them for the last six to eight months as it is anyways, but they are the number one team that probably needs to make a move. And they have an exception. They have, they have some assets. They have some power. I think they're in a really good spot. Luca may be running into form a little bit finally in the middle of January, but uh, it does seem like that team is on the rise and, and adding something intelligently could really push them forward. Keith, same question. Another team that absolutely should buy right now. It, it, Scott gave gave the best answer with Dallas. Mm-hmm. And one thing I will say with Dallas, too, keep an eye on Jalen Brunson yeah. as the the uh, player value, not really the salary value because he's only at $1.8 million, but the player value to plus up a, uh, a trade trade there for, for them. But the team I will go with, I'll flip to, to the other conference. I think it's the Chicago Bulls. They they're really really close um, to you know maybe you know even launching themselves into uh, you know East favorites if they can nail this trade deadline and I am a strong believer when you're that close you have to go for it because 
you don't know how long windows stay open. Uh, well, will they even stay open period? Uh, what, what happens? Alonzo ball injury is a little tricky. Um, but they're sitting on Kobe white and Patrick Williams, two young players that you could combine together in a deal along with, you know, then you just got to really kind of get to one other salary, maybe Derek Jones Jr., and you can get in the mix for any of the guys. And if they could go get Harrison Barnes or Jeremy Grant or someone like that, a, a Ford with a little bit more size that can fit in between Vucevic and DeRozan, all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, the Bulls are really, really tough going into the playoffs. And I know it's hard to give up on young players, but I, my question would be for the Bulls is, do you think by the time DeRozan ages out, those young guys are ready to step into his role and keep the team at that level? And if the answer to that is no, then you have to go for it right now because you're really set up here to win in the next couple of years. I like it. I, I do think they have to push and they also need a stopgap right now because they're in injury and COVID hell right now, unfortunately. So they yeah. have to really kind of keep themselves afloat. Uh, that's probably a two-player acquisition, in my opinion. Is, is that a, a Grant and maybe a Terrence Ross situation for them, Keith? Yeah, their challenge is that they what will get difficult for them to add too much salary is they're about nine and a half million under the hard cap, mm. and they are a hard capped team, so they have to be very cautious with bringing in salary the way they do it because otherwise they'll get stuck um, trying to dance around that hard cap. But yeah, I mean, if you could get that or or even do do a deal where you you do a two for one deal and then uh, open up a roster spot and for buyout season or something along those lines, that could be the direction to go. But yeah, they're, they're a team that could benefit from help in the immediate, but this is also could really lift them moving forward as well. We talk so much about Oklahoma City as sort of like the punching bag and, and the container to kind of take on people's trash as necessary. But they have this unbelievable player in SGA who has slid back a little bit this year, and you can understand it. He just doesn't have anything around him, never has. At, at, at some point, they're going to have to move on from him, right? You, you just can't keep paying him to be the one singular entity on that roster. Is this the time for that? Um, I would say no. His extension hasn't even kicked in yet. Right. So I think you at least wait for that to happen um, before you you go there. And I think their hope is... By the time he's in year two of that extension, they'll have hit on at least one, maybe two more pretty good draft picks, uh, probably good draft classes total just with the volume of picks they're likely to have. And then your parent, whoever those players are with SGA, with Josh Giddy, who they're very high on, maybe some growth from a couple of their other guys. And now you're ready to start moving this process forward. And then you still have still this you know, wild um, amount of draft picks going forward that what you could see them do is probably sometime next season or maybe the next off season. So the 2023 off season, what you're looking for, if you're OKC is that's when you're starting to put those picks into packages to add players to, to start plusing this thing up. I think if you hit, the 2023 offseason, you're still in this same position of acquiring assets and uh, you know playing these games under the cap and those kind of things. Then you do have to really consider right, what are we doing with Shea Gilgis Alexander? Because at that point, I would imagine too, the player's gonna have some questions as well. Yeah. But for now, he's still the building block. Yeah, he him along with Josh Giddy. Though those are their kind of one one A uh, building blocks that they they are in love with, and it also it's very hard to move SGA because of the poison pill. Um, mm -hmm. Because he, he count you know five and a half million on one side and and let's see uh, twenty nine point six million on the other side. So that makes makes that that 
that math really difficult. Now they're in a better spot because they are sitting on all that cap space, but I don't think they're ready to move on from him as okay. well. Plus you have to give the fans some reason to continue to come to games and, and he's a big part of it. Oh, that too. Right. <laughs> it just <laughs> seems like such a far stretch for Oklahoma city right now. You're right though. Giddy sure. is giddy is super fun. Uh, Scott flip the switch. One team that must sell in the next two and a half weeks. Um, I'll say Indiana Pacers, <laughs> even though <laughs> they, they have, are destroying the league right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, off their bid win over Lakers and, and Warriors. This, yeah. Well, I, I say the 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 Pacers because a they've said they are open for business, and b yeah, but Brogdon's been, no, Turner's probably no now, and I I don't know how you trade Sabonis. How do you trade Sabonis? I. I think there's probably a move for Turner. Uh, maybe if a, a team wants to take on Warren, he's got a, a injury that he's been out all season. So if someone wants to take on that dead, dead cap there. Um, but I think they're in that limbo of they are injured. They don't necessarily know who they are or what they want to do with the new coach that's in there. So um, I, I think they do need to, to, to sell something my question back to Keith is because of all of these injuries that they do have sitting on the books right now, you know, Turner is injured, Warren, can a team take those on and just waive the physical to say we're going to take them on regardless of their injury or is there something else that has to happen? Yeah. So what would happen in that process, especially with a guy like Turner, where it's a stress reaction, you'd have your doctors take a look. And if you feel like, all right, we agree with the Pacers. This is a weeks-long injury, not a you know long-term. Uh, it's certainly not a career-defining thing. Then you're you're very happy to say, yeah, we're good. We'll we'll go. I mean, we saw the Bull Bull trade get voided. Then the Celtics traded for him a few days later because for the Celtics it was a salary-related move. They don't really care that he's not going to play. Uh, for the Pistons, it was, hey, we want to take a flyer on this guy, see what it looks like. So teams do have the ability to completely waive physicals or to say, hey, we're still going to do it, but we still feel good about it. My take with Miles Turner now is you're acquiring Miles Turner as a two-year move versus a boost us right now in the moment yeah. thing because you don't know what you'll get the rest of the season. So if you're a team that's going to take him in uh, via trade, you're looking at it and saying, all right, well, we're really doing this for whatever we get the rest of this year. That's kind of a bonus, but we're really looking forward to him being a big part of things in the future seasons uh, next year and beyond because just because of that uncertainty this year. But they can absolutely say – you know, hey, we're we're good. I, I've I've referred to the Pacers and then the Trailblazers as the if you ever watch the 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 TV show The Office, uh, the chunky lemon milk, uh, <laughs> and it's it they're just chunky lemon milk. It's time to go. It's the it, it's expired. It's time to break it up, pour it down the drain, and, and start all over. Get some new milk and get going. Look at for the last six weeks, I I agreed with all that, Keith. But I've been watching this Pacers team. Now. I've seen them probably a half dozen times this season. They're well coached. I, I mean, these kids can play some ball, even these kids that are fill-ins right now. So yeah, you got maybe you got to shake up the core four a little bit, but I don't think you have to blow this whole thing up in Indiana. No. I think they're on a pretty good track. Yeah, they will not blow the whole thing up. They, 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 in that, that's not their, their MO. Uh, Herb Simon doesn't do that. Um, but I think they're being very realistic. There's even after these couple of big wins in a row, there's six games out of the final yeah. play-in spot. That's a lot to make up in less than a half a season. So what they're going to do is they're going to hit a very soft reset on this team where it's going to be, 
I still think either Turner or Sabonis gets traded. I, I think it's probably more likely Turner that that goes. I just think for other teams, he's more plug and play um, because of the role he plays. And Sabonis is more you have to then kind of build a team around them. And I think the Pacers still love Sabonis. And they, what they're going to do is they're going to hit that reset, probably Turner, probably Levert. Then it'll be Sabonis. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, whoever they get in return and trade, Chris Duarte, and that'll be what they'll build around as they look to get back into being a playoff team next year. This is not a full-scale teardown and restart uh, like what Orlando did at this time a year ago. Uh, they're not going to do that. Do you have a destination for Turner? Because to me, it's it's Knicks or bust. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the Knicks would be would be one, I think, uh, he can. He's a guy who Dallas has liked for a very okay. long time because they think they could play him with Porzingis. Um, some I, I really worry about having the uh, tallest front line in the league that can't grab a rebound if you're the Mavs in that case. But you also look at it and say, well, Luke is good for 10, 10, 11 rebounds a night anyway. So you, you look at it that way. There was a lot of talk that maybe the Golden State Warriors – uh, could could look at Turner as kind of, hey, this is another guy. He's an upgrade over Kavon Looney, and, and we move forward. The New Orleans Pelicans are always floated out there because he's seen as the kind of ideal piece. And then the one team that I think everybody thought might make a real play for him was the Charlotte Hornets right. because they 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 really lack uh, any kind of shot blocking on their interior, and he'd really fit with his uh, shooting ability to step out. So they, there'll be a market for him. The question is, they were pushing. They wanted two first round picks. They're not going to get that given the injuries. And it's questionable if they would have got that anyway. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. And it would really help if uh, here in the next couple weeks with a, you know, then a week to or so to go before the deadline, if there's a report of, Hey, he looks pretty good. He's only a week out. Then that would make, make things a lot easier for them in a trade. Is that a Terry Rozier expiring then? Oh, he's an, he's uh, well, Rozier signed to that yep. extension. Yep. Um, so he, he's, he's going to be sticking around in Charlotte. I think it's probably more of a, here's a package of stuff. Mm. So something like probably Mason Plumley for, for the salary matching, or maybe Kelly Oubre jr. Who could actually really kind of help, uh, Indiana right now with some perimeter scoring. Uh, but you're, you're moving off guys who aren't necessarily key parts of your core. Cause I think they see it as Rogier, uh, Ball and Hayward are our guys, along with Miles Bridges, who they absolutely are going to have to pay a ton to resign yeah, now. I don't know. Um, with his, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, incredible season for him in a contract year. Uh, so that that's kind of their core, and they're looking to supplement those guys. So I don't think it would be one of those players that moves. I think it's more likely to be kind of the the ancillary pieces around the edge of the roster. And you could even plus it up with, hey, what do you think about James Booknight? He was a lottery pick last year. Kai Jones, a young big. And those might be guys that Indiana says, hey, we're willing to jump on that. Or maybe even a P.J. Washington uh, could be a guy who gets thrown in there and the, the Hornets avoid having to give him an extension next summer. And that's the, 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 they have the ability to make a move like that. All right, Scott gave me Indiana. Keith, one team that needs to sell. I think I know who it is, but uh, let us have it. <laughs> yeah, I called them the other chunky That's lemon right. milk team. Yeah, Portland Trailblazers. They they have to. And I'm not saying it has to be Damian Lillard, nor do I think it will be Damian Lillard. I think he is. Uh, that's going to have to be Damian Lillard says, I, I want to go. Um, they, they're not going to do that. They're, they're going to let him uh, rehab as long as he needs, even if it's the rest of this season from that injury and go. But I think... 
they are in a position with guys like Yusuf Nurkic and Robert Covington that is actually pretty dangerous for them to be in because they're they're going to run into what's called the bird rights trap, which is we're over the cap. We have no ability to replace these guys. So we have to resign them because we have their bird rights. And what happens in that position is more often than not, those contracts turn sour, you know, two, maybe sometimes even only a year mm. into being signed. And that's where you you don't want to be if you're Portland. That's kind of what's got them stuck in this spot already. I do think they're more willing to listen on CJ McCollum than they ever have been in the past. And despite the fact that they just re-signed him to a five-year deal, I think they're open to talking about moving Norman Powell. The good thing for Nurkic, Powell, and Covington is – those guys all have really good value. They play roles that teams are always looking for at the trade deadline. So you should be able to return something pretty good. And much like Indiana, this is not a full tear down and reset. This is a or tear down and rebuild. This is a reset. Let's reset. Let's really try to rebuild around Damian Lillard with the players we get. The maybe the picks. They're they're out. They they they're out a couple picks too because of the the trades they've made. So let's get get that rebalance and let's put ourselves in a position where we can really move this thing forward uh, when Damian Lillard gets back and make one more good run at this in the waning years of his career. Scott, I want to talk Minnesota real quick because. You know, they're in most of these conversations. It's it's the right time for them to be, you know, probably adding pieces, maybe subtracting one of their bigger pieces. I think it's a little bit of Indiana plus Atlanta last year. That's kind of what it feels like, right? Like they probably have to shake up that core a little bit, but they also probably should add two to three pieces and make a push here. What What's the, to come over the next two and a half weeks with Minnesota? Are, are they kind of content at just being involved in the conversation or do you think they get aggressive here? I personally think they're going to get aggressive. I think, like I mentioned with the Dallas needing one more move, I think Minnesota is that other team that needs one more move to get to that next level. They're in the seventh seat as we're talking right now. So they could definitely move up, you know, up to that fifth seed with the right move. And so I think one of those pieces may end up getting moved to bring in a bigger fish. Keith, you know this roster better than we do, and I'm sure you've seen more Minnesota basketball than we have this year. Uh, who is untouchable? Obviously, Anthony, Kyle Anthony Towns seems untouchable, but I bet not if it comes this offseason, if, they you know, if they're not a, a two-round playoff team. But right now, who is untouchable on that roster? Yeah, he he's the the, the one. They're, they're really... You know, they 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 have basically shut down anytime anybody calls on him. He he much like Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal and others have said, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to win here. You know, I, this is the only place I've ever been. So now does that change after, you know, if they miss out again this season? Sure, that, that could definitely be open to it. Anthony Edwards is pretty close mm-hmm. to, to Untouchable. They they love what he's done and what he's brought them and how well he has played and uh, those things. And then D'Angelo Russell is not – it's not that he's untouchable, but it's just he is so tight with Carl Anthony Towns, and he has played pretty well that he'd be a kind of hard to move. In addition to that's a $30 million salary, so that makes it a little tricky. Um, so those are their untouchables, but they've got pieces despite that because you've got – 
Uh, Malik Beasley's $14.5 million. Torian Prince expiring contract at $13 million. Josh Okoji, it doesn't sound like much, but $4.1 million can be thrown into a deal. Jake Lehman at $3.9 million expiring. They've got guys they can throw into deals and get aggressive. They want Ben Simmons badly. Okay, it's, it's so you're known. transitioning where I'm about to go here. You knew where I was going. Yeah, they, go they ahead, want him. It's us. just they don't have the, the assets to go get them directly. They don't, right? Yeah, unless they really started throwing a lot of picks on the table, and that's that's always a questionable thing when you're a franchise like Minnesota, because if you do that and you miss, you're you're done. You're done for you know a decade, um, potentially, just because of you're going to be out picks and and you're not a big market. You're not a free agent destination, but but they think yo Simmons coming in there playing alongside Towns. You have the spacing you need uh, to allow him to just kind of do his thing, and he would lift their defense to a whole level. It hasn't been added, you know, really probably since Kevin Garnett was there, and that's um, you know, that's the allure. But they 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 have to figure out a way because the Malik Beasley, Torian Prince package, that's not going to no. move Philly at this and I don't point. Think, made that I don't think Maury or Doc want D'Angelo Russell. Is that incorrect to say? Yeah, it's not. He doesn't. He's not a great fit right. for Philadelphia. They they really like Tyrese Maxey, so they're not going to push overly hard to get a guy like D'Angelo Russell. And then you have that flip side of, all right, we went and got Ben Simmons, but we traded away Car Anthony Towns' best friend on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, so they better really work out with Ben Simmons if we do something like that. All right, let's get to it. I was I was holding off as much as possible. Is it really just a Ben Simmons situation right now in Philly, or are they really trying to link Tobias Harris to this conversation too? Which means you know sixty nine million dollars, almost seventy million worth of salary having to go out. Yeah, and, and bigger than that, it's a quarter of a billion dollars in total That's salary right. um, over the next three four years. So that I mean, yeah, it, it's absurd to think you can move sixty nine million dollars in salary in one trade in in season. It's just, I mean, you you then you better be talking about Russell Westbrook or John Wall uh, on the other side, and that's certainly not something Philadelphia is going to do. They want to attach Tobias Harris as the, if they can. What they're looking at is how do we do a three-team trade where one team takes on Harris, another team gets Simmons. That's where we go. But I don't think they're married to it has to be Tobias Harris. My sense from talking to different people, reading all the reports, uh, getting you know in there on this is they would like to do that, but it's still really about Ben Simmons. And, and it's about we want the monster mega package back. And if we can't get it by the trade deadline, we're – content to let him sit all year and we'll let this go into to next uh off season and we'll we'll figure it out and i continue to believe they'll get something done because it just it's it's going a little too far to say it's completely wasting a season of joel Embiid to not trade simmons because they have played well despite um you know simmons being out uh, with Embiid. but you want to maximize every good season you can with Embiid, just given his health history so i do think that they would love to get something done but Maury is he's really holding firm and he is not going to just say all right fine give me your you know two three you know high-end role player package and off we'll go he's holding firm that he wants stars and picks and everything else Scott and I are, are under the belief right now, Keith, that he does not move. I, I think it's more likely that he plays for the 76ers this year than he's traded at the deadline. Yeah, I don't. Um, I would put those at even odds of both of being close to zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't I don't think he'll play for them. I, I think that ship has sailed. 
I don't think there's any chance he plays for them. I think he is so uh, deeply ingrained in this now that it is, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit out. I, I'm, I've, I have long held, I think they'll move him. Um, I have come way, way off that. If we were having this conversation even a month ago, I would have said 70, 80%. Now I'm down probably under 50 Mm -hmm. that he actually gets moved. So I think this drags into the summer. And then in the summer, when rosters expand, other teams may have cap space, things just get easier. Then I do think, uh, he'll, he'll be on another team. I think, the next time we see him play may be the start of the 22-23 season, but for a different team. One more question on Simmons, and I, I realize it's been, you know, a 12-month extravaganza here, but <laughs> th- this is not the first time that we've had a player hold out, and we follow all these sports. This happens in every sport, and it's happening quite a bit now in the NFL, and we've seen it in baseball to some degree as well. If he were playing right now, would he be traded? It's a good question. I I don't think so. I don't think it makes any real difference. I everybody I have talked to that has expressed any kind of interest in a Ben Simmons trade, and when you get to do you need to see him play? The answer is no. They're there. They do say we need to get a physical done. We need to uh, look at him. We need to make sure he's healthy and you know able to play because he does have the back concerns um that have been a uh, been a real thing in his career he had the foot issue but beyond that everybody says he's young we know what his skill set is we don't need to see him on the court doing it the i think the kind of second level to that though is would philly be more motivated because right. he's doing the right thing he's here he's you know at least trying yeah, where we're going to move them. Like we see a lot of times, right? We see guys say, Hey, yeah, I'd like to be traded, but, but I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm still working. I'm still doing my thing. Um, maybe they might be more motivated to, you know, come down. I just, I, I believe this whole situation boils down to Daryl Morey needs to come down a little bit on his ask. Other teams need to come up a little bit because they're not going to steal them. And when you find that middle ground, that's when a trade will happen. So you don't think there are teams out there, even involuntarily, right? That, that, they think of Ben Simmons, and the first thing they think of is this holdout, not his skill set, not what what kind of impact he can have over a dog day long regular season, but this right here. This isn't in the back of their mind, like, hey, this this is this could happen at any point in time with this guy and his representation. I think there's, I, I think it's a consideration and a conversation you have if you're sitting in the room and you're that close to making a trade. That is the kind of. All right, go. That's probably more a question the owner is asking of the front office that's going to acquire Ben Simmons is, are we sure he's going to be bought in? But everybody believes, get him out of Philly, and he's going to be ready to go. The reports that came out that he's going to need weeks to ramp up to get ready, I've had teams tell me, I bet you he gets traded and he plays within a week or two. It'll be just enough to get acclimated, get his conditioning up, to basketball ready and he'll go. It's not going to be, you know, four or six weeks before he's ready to play for, for a team uh, that it just, everybody believes that's uh, you know, that's some posturing that's being put out there and those kind of things by, by all sides here. So, yeah, I, I think, I think that is a conversation you have. That's a question you have to answer from your owner and you have to be very you know firm in, no, we think he'll be locked in and ready to go with us. If you're, if you, if you have doubts about that, you can't make the trade because then, you know, you're, you're going into it with a, you know, not a hundred percent behind it. And I always firmly believe when you make a trade, 
you have to be 100% in on the trade you're making. You can't be waffling at all as you make it. Otherwise, just don't make the trade. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, last question for each of you separately. Not counting Ben Simmons because, you know, that's the name we kind of know right now. Who's the most expensive player, Scott, that's going to get moved at this deadline? <laughs> um, Let me, I'll, give, I'll give you a couple of examples so I'd like to think a little bit. Um, I, I guess I can throw Tobias Harris. I think it's very, very small percentage there. Siakam is certainly in this conversation. He's $34 million. McCollum at $33 million is in this conversation. De'Aaron Fox at 32 and change in this conversation. Uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I can't say Russ. I can't say John Wall with any kind of brevity. I guess those are your top contenders right now. Uh, I'm not going to put Bradley Beal as a deadline move. I can't get myself there. Scott, do you have an answer? I, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Al Horford. He's at 27 million right now. Okay. Um, I, I think he's a piece that could be moved. In it, Keith, you're closer to the Celtics than anyone uh, with watching every game that they've played. But I, I have a sense that something's got to give on that Celtics roster. And I feel like Al Horford may be another piece that just gets moved again. What do you think on that? Yeah, certainly possible. You have a couple of different things that could happen there. It's a team could look at it and say, Hey, it's only 14 and a half million guaranteed for next season. We can get out of that deal. And at a minimal cost, maybe, you know, Boston takes a, a team salary that runs two, three years uh, past it. And now that's the way, way they do it. If they want to make any kind of big move, uh, they're not trading Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. That's not happening. They, they've you know done everything they can to shut that down. But if they're going to make any sort of really big, impactful move, it has to be Al Horford just because of the salary that he's carrying. So, yeah, it's certainly possible. I'm going to go just one up uh, on the list from, mm. from where you went. And I pull it. But thankfully, it was so easy to go right to spot track and pull up uh, largest cap hits. And, um, it was, I'm going with De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, that was my second one. <laughs> yeah, I think I. I know the Kings fired back and, you know, put out there in the middle, hey, we're not talking about De'Aaron Fox. We're not looking to trade him and all these kind of things. When there's that much smoke, there's usually fire. And I, and I do think that there is a good chance that the Kings are going to say, all right, if De'Aaron Fox is the big move we can make to really reset and go forward with what we want to do, I, I think that's more on the table than, you know, people would think, especially considering it's year one of a max extension for Fox. I think – I think the softball answer, right, is one of the three Kings. <laughs> I think sure. there's a chance that Heald could be at 23 and Harrison Barnes at 20 probably will move. So, I mean, that might be the top dog right there at the end of the day. But but Fox is interesting. There's teams that could certainly use him right now. That's not a that's not a Bulls spot, right? That's too big a swing uh, for no, them right now. No, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that for 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 them, I don't know that that makes sense. But I think Barnes and Heald, yeah. you know, probably not together, but one of the two that that could make sense. I'll go as far as saying this: I think all three are going to get traded oh, wow. at, at this deadline. I, I think Sacramento is going to really, uh, you know, go and do kind of what the Kings do, and that's you know, all right, let's start it, start over again. You know, I mean, it's it's been a decade and a half. Well, what's one more year? Uh, of this, you know, we might as well, you know, we're hit the hit the reset. And I, I feel like uh, they, they're ready to say uh, Tyrese Halberton, whatever remains and whatever we get that that's our, our group going forward. I just, I feel like there is, you know, there's just too much going on around uh, those three guys that it makes too much sense. If that's the way the Kings want to go, uh, that that is where they'll, they'll move. Is that still your Ben Simmons spot then Keith? 
It's one of the been. It's. I wish Minnesota had the assets to get him because right. that's my favorite spot for Simmons. I just think that's where you could make the most out of him as a player as well. Um, I will. Yeah, maybe if that's the way the Kings want to go. Um, you know, what could get interesting there was if if I've thought this process through for a while. If you're Philadelphia, if you want De'Aaron Fox and you want Harrison Barnes, you make a trade to get both of them. They'll really help you moving forward. Or if you'd rather Buddy Heald than Harrison Barnes, that helps as well. And then what they could do, if they're really serious about we want to get in the James Harden mix, then you use De'Aaron Fox as the you know big chunk of salary matching in a sign and trade for James Harden in the offseason. And, and now the Nets can kind of say, all right, we get a younger guy. And if they're not sure about what's going on with Kyrie Irving and, and all that, you know, all right, may, maybe that's the direction we could go. Or I tend to believe to get talented players and figure out kind of the rest of it later uh, because – it's certainly not going to hurt you to make make a trade like that the rest of the year because you're getting absolutely zero out of Simmons now. And then you can always do another deal, whether it be at the deadline by trading one of your younger guys away uh, that plays the same spot as Fox, or you could flip Fox by himself in a trade, or you could even look to do something in the offseason where it's like, all right, hey, we got him for the rest of this year. We'll let it play out, and then we'll move Darren Fox in the offseason. So I, I would do that if I was Philadelphia, if that really is on the table. Last question. We'll get, get you guys out of here. Scott, who's your MVP pick right now? Oh, uh, it caught me off guard here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, There's only like three options, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm going to say uh, Jokic. Uh, I'm yeah. going to go with him. Sure. Keith? With, with... Yeah, I, I think he, I think him, Embiid, and Giannis yeah. are, you can't go wrong with picking any of the three. I think when all is said and done, I think it may end up being Giannis. The Bucks are 17 and three when Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton all play. And it looks like now that's probably going to be more often than not the case the rest of this year. So I think you're going to see them start to shoot up the standings quite a bit, really go on a tear. And I think people are going to kind of, in a as odd as this may sound, rediscover Giannis of, oh, wow, he is having a great year again. And so, but right now it's, it's tough to pick against Nikola Jokic with what he's doing with such a limited roster due to injuries and illnesses and everything else that they've gone through. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable that he's throwing up these 40 point triple doubles when he's being triple teamed uh, on some nights. It really is great. And then Embiid's also been you know, amazing. It would have been Kevin Durant if he was still healthy the rest of the year. I just think he was having one of the best years of his career, but, but you know, g- give me Giannis for now, but I don't have any problem. If you say Jokic or Embiid, John Morant, just not consistent enough. Not consistent enough. I don't think the team is there yet. Um, I I, they're, they're, I know they they have a better record than uh, you know a couple of those teams I mentioned, but I, I just I just think it, it's coming for for John Moran. We're just not there just yet. But but it, it's coming. He is really really good, and that team is so much better than a lot of people think. Should be a fun two weeks, guys. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All for right. Having thanks. Me. All right, my thanks to Keith. He is at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. A great follow, a great read as well on SpotTrack.com. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit TheAthletic.com slash SpotTrack for 40% off that first year subscription. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast. <laughs>